0: They know the people that grew up in Beaver Falls, the people that grow up in Southside. They know their history. You know, we need the smaller organizations to keep that history alive and going. And we need the community members to continue to support that. Or else, years from now, it's not gonna exist.
1: You're listening to the Beaver County History Podcast, a production of the Social Voice Project. What is history? Local history seems to be a straightforward idea. Yeah, that's a kind of an interesting side story. Thank you for having me on the podcast. This is one that I definitely enjoy that dives into local history. What is history? It's the history of a small, well-defined area. History is his story.
0: And it's also her story.
1: It is an account of past events and sequence of time
0: the people, the places, and the events in all of our lives.
1: You're listening to the Beaver County History Podcast. It was was very interesting and really brought history to life. Welcome to the Beaver County History Podcast. This is new for us. We're actually doing an interview with a real person, and we have Brenda Applegate, who is... You're the first lady of Beaver County history, I'd say. (laughs) would you say?
0: There's probably people before me.
1: (laughs) Oh, you're so modest. On this podcast, we promote and celebrate, you know, the rich heritage and... Significant local history that we have here in Beaver County. We were just one effort among many here throughout the county, and Brenda's going to talk about these efforts with the Beaver County History Coalition uh, today. We're actually recording live from the Merrick Art Gallery, and we're in the Grand Hall, so if you hear uh, noises in the background that's because people are coming in and they're looking at the art and they're doing what people should be doing they're talking about uh, this wonderful history that we hear, have here in beaver county so we have a, uh, a group of folks who are here in the great hall so that won't be too distracting i'm sure but we have a lot to talk about today brenda so hey thanks for being on the podcast
0: thank you for having me
1: so tell us a little bit about yourself Myself, mm-hmm.
0: I'm the executive director of Beaver County Historical Research and Landmarks Foundation. Um, my office is in the Vickery Mansion in Freedom. I was hired there in 1998, so I've been there a long time, um, 20 years. i married, have two kids, a dog and a cat.
1: Well, there you go. I bet you a lot of people don't know about Vickery Mansion.
0: Probably not, but I think it's becoming more Better known than what it has been in previous years because of our outreach,
1: and that's largely responsible because of you and the work that you've done, and you know your volunteers and the and the, the people that you organize to make local history, the yeah. Vickery house in particular, uh, known to the public.
0: Exactly. I mean, it's it's a long ways, but when I started, the the Vickery mansion had. Holes in the floor. Holes in the floor. Holes in the floor. Holes oh. in the walls, and and we still have holes in the floor, but we've covered them up with um, bulletproof glass so that you can see what's underneath. You can see what's behind the walls.
1: I've seen those holes. They, yes, you know, you, it's a beautiful place. It is a beautiful place. You guys did a wonderful job. You know, not only just f- patching the holes and stuff like that, but I mean, it it is really a, a nice showcase.
0: It is, but it is not a. a a building full of antique furniture it is a building that is lived in it is a building that children can come and play and experience history in a hands-on way rather than don't touch don't touch so right. that what right. that makes us a little bit different than some of the other sites in the county
1: you get people from all all over the world uh, all the United States coming by
0: we do we do but we don't have a large volume because most people are doing genealogical research, and that I don't have a lot of. I have history books, I have reference books, but I don't have a lot of genealogy. So we send them to the, like down in the bunker at the train station. Right, the bunker. Yeah. Yeah.
1: (laughs) Yeah. When I was at uh, Rachel Carson the other week, we finished up recording and we were all packing up and they didn't have open hours. And up the driveway comes this guy, two guys, and one guy comes up and he's is an Indian guy, like Indian mm-hmm. National. And he's holding his Texas state ID in front of him as he's walking towards me. And he says, I came here to see Rachel Carson. The story is he just got off the bus. Yeah. And he met a local guy at the bus station. And the, and the local guy says, sure, I'll give you a ride up there. So he just shows up. <laughs> and Jeannie, who's the executive director there, she's like, oh, oh, OK. So she ends up giving this guy who just came here, stopped in Pittsburgh just to go to Rachel Carson yeah. uh, out of the blue. and yeah. <laughs> See, we get a lot of that.
0: How interesting. I mean, I I shouldn't say a lot, but some of our visitors are like that. They just walk in, they want to see something different. And, you know, it's, you never know. Yeah. Yeah. So,
1: do you have people who uh, express a sense of disappointment, like, oh, I thought this would be something else? Or, uh...
0: no, because first of all, the hole in the floor, you know, in the meeting room, that's impressive. And then you go upstairs and I can pull up a board and, and there's, um, wedged in between the stones is a two-by-four. So oh. when you're showing them all these little innuendos and, and you explain the girls' program, then they kind of understand. Right. It, it's like you wouldn't want to bring a whole bunch of kids sort of unchaperoned into this room because you have to protect the paintings. Right. You know, whereas we don't have that issue. So,
1: How many visitors do you get?
0: Probably around 1,000. I mean, wow. if you you add everything up, but it's not like a hundred or a thousand walk-ins, it's more for programming. And mm-hmm. then if you count our outreach, that's where we get a lot of additional numbers. So right. we're not just staying in Vickery. We're going out and doing programs.
1: Those numbers matter, right? For For funding purposes, mm-hmm. grant applications. I mean, they always <laughs> want to know the numbers, you know, how viable are you, right? That's People want to quantify that.
0: Well, and and you don't count the special needs groups that come in. I mean, you count them, but it's like, okay, we're going to spend two hours with you where we spent maybe an hour with a regular visitor. Right. Because sometimes they ask more questions or they need more explanation. Every Thursday I have kids from BCRC that come in and they do a little bit of volunteer work and then they do, um, we try to give them something fun to do you know maybe weaving or maybe a, a craft project so that they're they're not just volunteering right so
1: well, i hope we can talk about volunteering and what i perceive as a crisis around the volunteers we just did a, a podcast episode with the burtner house where's that at uh <laughs> there you go where's where is that i mean that is that's one of the issues, right? No one really knows about these places, so when they when they're trying to get resources and, and uh, right. volunteers I mean that's that's just part of the struggle, the big mix, but it's up in um, northeastern Allegheny County near uh, Natrona Heights, okay near Tarentum, Natrona Heights, up up in that direction eighteen twenty one house same
0: time it, period as us
1: yeah, it was like one of the local places where all the public meetings were held the, the vote. Everyone cast a vote for Abraham Lincoln in that place. Um, they have a restoration society that manages the place, and they, okay. they've they been focused on keeping the lights on, the grass cut, the right. roof in good order. So the programming part is something that, you know, often suffers. Yeah, They've been sort of focusing on survival and not so much, you know, a different kind of programs like, you know, a quilt show there, which would be an awesome thing. I think they would love to have something like that because it's all period, right? you know. One of the reasons that I got involved with them is uh, they reached out to the TRIB review with the paper in that area and said, we're going to close. Next uh, two years, they're going to be 200 years old. They said, we're going to have to close because we just don't have enough people to do the upkeep. So they did this story. uh, Joyce Hans did a story in the TRIB crisis i I talked to joyce and then i got connected with them and i said let's come out i'll do a we'll do a podcast episode dave was the guest host of allegheny valley history podcast they focused on volunteerism and at their meeting two days ago they had 40 people show up i mean like three or four to 40 right that's really good you know that's the kind of stuff that um you know when we all sort of work together we could but the the issue is very very real So many places are facing just the the consequence of maybe closing Mm -hmm. or just reduction of hours, you know. I mean, just down to nothing. One day a week, uh, one day a month, uh, you know, that's how how it goes. But let's talk about what you're doing there at the Beaver County Historical Research and Landmarks Foundation, as well as the Beaver County History Coalition, which is a broader effort to bring all these wonderful museums and local heritage societies together. So we can all coordinate our activities and uh, support each other with our resources and so forth. And one of those activities, coordinated activities, is the Beaver County History Celebration Weekend, which is coming up. And we need to talk about that because it's about food. and It is about food. We all love food.
0: It is about food. Um, There are 20 sites that are, are participating with us for the History Weekend. And each of them are focusing on something very unique about food. Food, how it was Observed in Beaver County. We've worked very hard. It wasn't that easy to come up with ideas for the food theme, but each one is very unique. If you go to Air Heritage, which is in Chippewa, you're going to see a MKT 90. This is a field kitchen, and it was used during World War II in Vietnam. And what's the chances of seeing that somewhere? So you're going to be able to actually go there and see this kitchen. If you get down to Beaver, we're going to jump back to the Revolutionary War, and they're going to have Part of their Revolutionary War regiment that will be serving stew, so that that's their aspect.
1: A period recipe. A period recipe. Oh, that be for a large quantity. Well, oh, so they're going to have a big vat. They're right? going to have
0: well, probably a big kettle. Yeah, big kettle. Big kettle. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh wow. But then we can jump up to more recent times. So if you go to the industrial museum, and he's going to talk about McDonald's. How the McDonald's industry played out. But he's also gonna have fry glass, a table set with fry glass and some food served on it. So that's kinda neat. And and even Rochester um, Historical Society is also gonna focus on fry glass, which is very appropriate for them. And they're also gonna talk about the ethnic groups that worked at the fry glass factory. And so they will have different foods there. We'll go to the B.F. Jones Memorial Library in, in Aliquippa. And they're going to talk about ethnic food, um, things like um, kibbeh, which is Lebanese, baklava, Greek, nookies and ravioli, which is Italian. They're going to focus on that. So as you can see, we're all doing something different. And um, if some of you most recently saw in the newspaper Beaver Falls had the article on the, the Chinese book, yes. they're going to let you experience eating with chopsticks. Because of the Chinese that were brought in to work in the the factories in Beaver Falls to break up a strike, Um, they're going to focus on on that. And they're also going to talk about um, flint glass as well. Again, very different. Enon Valley is going to focus on corn shellers, cream separators, ice cream makers— a lot of dairy-related things, because there's a lot of dairy farms in Enon. Right, right. Uh, if you go to the Little Beaver Historical Society, they are, they have an Eagle Scout that's recently building a bake oven, and they will be focusing on that, as well as some Eastern European foods that were served in their area. McKinley Schools and um, New Brighton Historical Society um, will focus on school lunches. Oh, so they're going to have, both of them are going to have an array of lunch boxes oh. on display so that you, you can actually see what the kids brought their lunches to school in.
1: Are they going to have tater tots there and um, Salisbury steak? I have a steak? funny
0: <laughs> feeling, not so much. <laughs> Manac Hall of Fame, I think they really have a hard time so I'm kind of mixing in with some of our topics. But there was a gentleman named Kito Petrella. And he lived in Manac in the 1950s. And he would actually go to football games and different um, school activities with a wagon filled with candied apples, popcorn, and cotton candy. And he would sell it. So that's a a hometown guy that they're going to focus on. Old Economy Village is going to have a spring garden on Saturday. And then they'll focus on their bake oven and their community kitchen that they have a lot of different foods going on. Um, We have one model railroad that's participating this year, and that's the Ohio Valley Lines in the Ambridge, and they happen to have an H.J. Hines train set, and so they're going to talk about all of the food that H.J. Hines transported throughout the country, and they're going to use that with their model um, railroad display. St. Nicholas Chapel, um, they haven't participated for a couple years, but they've come back this year, and they're going to focus on Russian food and at how it influenced their, um, their way of cooking. Southside Historical should be kind of neat because they're gonna grow grain, process the grain, and make bread. So that's a a very farm life atmosphere, which that's Southside Village. And at the Vickery Mansion, we're gonna focus on Eastern Woodlands food, what the Native Americans ate in our region. We will be cooking outside representing the Three Sisters, the corn, beans, and squash. Our group not only has actual historic sites, But we have historical organizations that participate. So we have the um, Colonial Dames, which next year they may dissolve the group in the state, but for this year they're gonna pass out family heirloom recipes at Beaver Area Heritage. Then we have Ron Bruce, who's with the Sons of the Confederacy, Sons of the Union, and Sons, there's one more son, right, Revolution. And he's gonna pass out recipes as well at, at Beaver. And then the DAR will be at the Vickery Mansion, and she has a 1940s comfort food recipe that she's going to make and share with everybody. And my understanding, it is loaded with onions, so <laughs> we'll see how it's going to taste. I love the
1: creativity. I, I love how each of the groups has thought about it and thought about putting their own spin
0: exactly on the,
1: on the topic of food. How cool. And, and that's part of what the
0: coalition did. We worked together so that we weren't all doing the same thing, so that there is a reason for repeat visitors to come to each of our sites. Right. And right. that's really important because if our local public doesn't come to our sites, why should we keep our doors open?
1: Yeah. Yeah, how how can you keep your doors exactly. open? I mean, that's exactly. that's so key. Sure, we're going to be on hand at uh, Little Beaver. We're going to do some food oral history work. We're going to be on hand with our microphones like this, and we're going to capture some memories. We just recently put out a wonderful little montage of uh, food oral history stuff that I had recorded at Heinz History Center as well as in the Allegheny Valley and uh, people talking about pig's feet and Mm -hmm. a lot of Italian food and, oh, it's just wonderful. You know, and I'll tell you, when people get talking about food, you can't divorce that from things like family and holidays and things like that. And, you know, the laughter and the tears often. And what's really sad to me personally uh, are these expressions around food that are bygone traditions. Mm -hmm. My grandmother used to do this, but we don't do this anymore. And people recognize Mm -hmm. that. And that's, you know, that's sad. And that goes back to... Some of the value that we get from oral history, demonstrating history, the public history of having these kinds of events that you are having, where you're demonstrating the food, people could come and taste it and try out chopsticks and things like that. It makes it visceral, it makes it real, palpable, and it just ties it all together. You know, rather than being this abstract memory that we carry around, it's something that's, you know, it's it's at the sites. And we have it to, is at the sites. We have to go see them. Right? And, and what we're also working towards
0: um, is a cookbook. To celebrate the History Weekend. Wonderful. And it will be not your typical cookbook because it will include family heirloom recipes. It may include pictures of the, the people that made them. For example, I know one recipe that I'm submitting is how we make apple butter at the Vickery Mansion for our Apple Butter Fest. Well, I use a pound of brown sugar the original recipes called for 25 pounds of sugar. Wow. So you'll have a little bit of a comparison as to how things were made and are currently made, at least in my recipe.
1: Right, like lard. Who uses lard anymore, but all the old recipes called for
0: lard. I actually have lard in my freezer. (laughs) You do. So if I'm doing an 18th century recipe, I can pull my lard out and use it. But I also have bear's grease in my freezer, too. Wow.
1: Where do you get that stuff?
0: (laughs) I have some people that actually shoot beer, You know, go out and hunt a bear,
1: and you know people. <laughs> yeah,
0: they render it.
1: <laughs> oh, that's interesting. Can you buy lard at the at the market supermarket? Yeah, it, it, it
0: comes in a little square like butter. Oh, not all supermarkets will have it, but yeah, you can still buy it.
1: Oh, Interesting. Years ago, I lived in New Mexico, and, uh, you know, in those markets there, there's a lot of pig tripe and mm-hmm. all kind of t- tongues uh, and all kinds of things that are endemic to Hispanic culture, you know, food cuisine. And I always just found that fascinating, you know, no pierogies, uh, but uh, <laughs> pig tripe and, uh, you know, for a menudo. <laughs> yeah. How wonderful this is. What else is going on this year?
0: For the, the History Coalition? Yeah. Well, actually, we are going to have a picnic on June 13th at Two Mile Run Park so that some of our boards can meet other members of other boards. And um, the coalition does meet all year round. And we um, we actually had our first history weekend in 2008. So we have been meeting for a long time, yeah. which is very unusual. Um, Heinz History Center recognizes Beaver County as one of the few counties where the historical sites talk to each other. Yeah, I really congratulate all of the members that do attend the coalition meetings. And um, we also have a, um, a passport. This is our fifth printing, and all of our sites have a little bit of history about each of the sites and they're, when they're open and closed and contact information. So it's almost like a little phone book, mm-hmm. but it only focuses on the history sites and organizations of Beaver County.
1: You have the document here. This is like a a, a real passport size. Mm-hmm. And um, so you have the descriptions of all the sites and you have a place for a stamp. We do. So when someone comes uh, to visit Beaver County Sports Hall of Fame, for example, uh, they can get it stamped.
0: Exactly. Yeah. And the, the new publication that's coming out, we're excited that we have new organizations. the The B.F. Jones Memorial is new in this fifth edition. Fombell Bell has started um, a historical society, and, and next year we're hoping they will participate in the History Weekend, but they're just in the process of renovating their building and getting the accessibility passed. Rochester, they're only a couple years old, really, mm-hmm. and um, they have done a wonderful job in renovating the second floor of the, the Rochester Borough Building. They will be in the Passport, and the Ohio Valley Railroad is a new organization, the other thing that's up and coming, New Brighton recently acquired a room in a building. So they are no longer going to be just an organization. They're going to actually have a site.
1: Oh, wow. So well, They used to be here, by the way, I believe, yes. in Merrick Art Gallery.
0: Yes. Yeah. Now they're going to get their own site, and, and that's exciting for them. Yeah. Um, when we printed our first passport in, in the year 2000, we had 15 sites, and now we have 21 sites in the the fifth edition. So
1: That's awesome.
0: I'm really excited about that.
1: How does one go about becoming an officially recognized history organization? Do you have to have do you have to be a nonprofit? Do you have to have some sort of charter, some sort of board? How does that work? Well, I think it's to your advantage to
0: be a nonprofit because then that makes it easier to solicit funding. Being run by a board is helpful because hopefully that board will help bring in volunteers to run the organization and then it's not one person making all of the decisions. It's it's a universal or a collective decision. You know, some of these organizations, like Little Beaver, are are really old. And they have been—well, Beaver Falls. Beaver Falls is—I have to say they're the second, because I've been corrected a couple times. They're the second oldest historical organization in Beaver County. Old Economy was the first. Right. So those organizations have been in existence for a very long time, and, and they've been— Run by boards of different people throughout all the years.
1: Mm-hmm. So the Beaver County Coalition is that itself a, a chartered organization, a no. formal organization, or is it a, like a confederacy?
0: In um, in year two thousand, there was a group of people that celebrated our beginnings, Beaver County's beginnings. And president of my organization at that time was Sam Kovalenko, and he he wanted all of the organizations to step forward and to work together. And we had year-long events. I mean, we really did. We had a big event in the park in Beaver. We had parades. We had things in Midland to commemorate the the bicentennial of Beaver County. Well, when he passed away, I kind of felt it was my personal obligation to keep those organizations united. And so in, um, I think it was like 2008, we started meeting and having meetings and then I think about three years ago we kind of officially formulated into the Beaver County History Coalition which the umbrella is the Beaver County Historical Research and Landmarks Foundation. As the umbrella I don't tell organizations what to do but we do come together and collectively complain about whatever's going wrong and as we've mentioned earlier before we started taping Probably our biggest complaint about all of our organizations is the lack of volunteers. Mm -hmm. Our volunteer population is getting older. They can't do what they used to do. And we're not replacing it with younger people to come in and help maintain the sites.
1: Right. I think it's important to sort of preface this this way. There's an enormous need for volunteers because there's generally not sufficient resources for paid staff, you know, like a larger institution. So to keep these organizations running, just materially, physically, and in terms of programming as well, there needs to be volunteers. All organizations seem to be struggling with volunteerism.
0: Well, I can think of many of the sites that don't open in the wintertime because they don't have heat. Right. I can think of a couple of other sites that they're scraping pennies to pay the electric bill and the telephone bill. Right. You know, that makes it really hard to run an efficient organization, especially when you're collecting things. A textile box can cost 36 bucks per one box. Mm-hmm. How can you properly store the things that you're bringing in, the artifacts you're bringing in when you can't pay your electric bill? Right. And my personal opinion is we need all of these sites. I can't be... The keeper of everything in Beaver County. The Vickery Mansion is not big enough. Right. They know the people that grew up in Beaver Falls, the people that grow up in Southside. They know their history. I grew up in Ohioville. I don't know the history of, of Ambridge from one side of the county to the other. So, you know, we need the smaller organizations to keep that history alive and going. And we need the community members to continue to support that or else years from now, it's not going
1: to exist. That's the reality of it. I mean, it, in the starkest terms, if local history is not supported by the public, not supported by corporations, mm-hmm. government, not supported by visitors who come, sign those books, drop a few bucks, and a will you know, the till, buy merchandise. Right. The reality is, yeah, people won't have money for the light bills. They won't have money for proper curation. Correct. Uh, materials and so forth. And so, you know, we're sitting here in the main gallery of Merrick, and I'm looking at all these paintings that are 18th century, 19th century. Wow, what it must take to upkeep, well, to ensure, for one, but also to upkeep all of this work, all these artifacts that we have in our Different organizations. If we cannot do that, the alternative is they fold. Exactly. They fold. Well, what happened to Merrick? Well, these paintings would probably be sold off at auction. Mm-hmm. Almost all of the uh, artifacts around here would probably be able to be sold on eBay, right? Exactly. You know, we don't want that to happen. No, we
0: don't want that to happen. But that's that's a reality. What you do with all these things that you've collected—it's important. I mean, one of our sites has a mold issue, and of course, they don't have money to remove all the mold and you know what impact is that going to have on their future collection right. and 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 you're right we do have companies that will donate they ultimately give it to the larger societies that have more means to promote their involvement some of your little societies that's not their their thing they don't have the the membership that can go out and say oh well this company gave me x amount of dollars it's but they need the money just as much as a little bit larger site
1: if not more
0: exactly yeah exactly
1: well, you know the old saying uh, money follows money exactly right? uh, yeah so and everyone loves to be a part of these you know part of a moving train and uh, you know the mm-hmm. big institutions that are constantly in the public's eye and so forth one of the reasons that we do what we do here with our local history podcast initiative is to use the digital media, which is very cost effective, and it certainly has a worldwide reach to be able to help these smaller organizations. Mm-hmm. You know, there's, this is very common. I'm sure you've heard it a lot. People will say, oh, I know of that place. Oh, I was there when I was in fifth grade. Mm-hmm. And if exactly. they do go back, I've heard people say that same damn stuff I saw when I was in fifth grade, right? So there are a lot of variables here we're, we're talking about to keeping the lights on and, and, and keeping the local history viable.
0: And that's why the coalition, the first weekend in May, is important because we force ourselves to change the topic. We force, like next year, we're going to have a totally different topic other than food. Last year, our
1: theme was World War One. We change it, so there is a reason for you to come back. Right. Keeping things... Fresh, Mm -hmm. renewed, I mean, history renews itself. You know, history is Mm -hmm. constantly changing, evolving. You know, I always like to say history is now. So every day is a new day, um, which will tomorrow be our past, right? So keeping it fresh, as they say, is very important. I think that one of the major obstacles that we all face is just this ability to engage the public in today's terms. Mm -hmm. Young kids today have very different expectations visiting a museum today. Reading? Forget about it, right, as they say. A lot of people say, ah, kids don't like to read stuff. How about writing? (laughs) Writing? You can't read writing now. (laughs) (laughs) That's right. That's right. But, you know, kids uh, who are growing up uh, with their smart devices on the Internet, they have expectations that history will be presented in these ways that are sort of similar. Right. Right, through the small screen uh, with production values, things like that. I mean, you know, I always say that um, if you can educate, entertain, and inspire, mm-hmm. uh, you've got someone, you know. I mean, you learn that in teacher training, you know, first day. That entertaining part, that's the, that's the weirdest part of that, right? So what do you have to be, a performer? Do you have to have all these bells and whistles? Do you have to accommodate the young generations today, you know, with, with all this media business? Do you, do you think that's necessary? Well, to a certain
0: extent, yes. But on the other hand, I have to say at, at the Vickery Mansion, we have a girls' program. It's for ages 7 to 14, and it focuses on different eras every almost every 20 years. So when the girls come in, they dress according to that time period, they cook, sew, do a craft, taught a dance, and then they have to eat the food that they make. So we average 24 girls a month, and they're coming from the tri-state area. They're not just coming from Beaver County. It, it's a hard program. Sometimes we spend 20 minutes teaching the girls how to tie a knot. The parents are pleased that we're trying to teach these kids some some basic skills that they had while growing up.
1: Right. And what you're talking about there is experience. Exactly. It's historical experience, right? So instead of coming in and looking at a text-based exhibit on how... Clothing was right. Kids get to put on the clothing,
0: they get to put on the clothing and they
1: get to fool with the knots and they get frustrated and all that sort of stuff. I mean, that's just
0: or you learn to bake a cake from scratch. Whereas when my sons were in high school, they used a the microwave,
1: yeah, right, right.
0: So, you know, it's 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 different. And I think when you visit our all of our county historical sites, they're trying to do a little bit of that. Yes. We're, we're just doing it on a more organized way at, at the Vickery Mansion.
1: Right. Making history kinesthetic. And to the degree that you all are doing that in your own, your own respective ways, that's so cool. And I think that's only going to bode well for everybody in, in moving forward, right? And, you know, quite frankly, I, I hear, uh, and I talk to a lot of small organizations all throughout Western Pennsylvania, I hear this divide. You've got one group of, we'll call them old school people, who don't want to get into all this experiential stuff and the flat screen TVs and all that sort of stuff. It's like, this is the way I learned about history. Mm-hmm. You go in and the traditional panels with text and right. everything behind glass and you know that sort of stuff. And they don't see the need to invest right. in these new ways of presenting history. Then, of course, you have others who are just, they, they get it, they understand it, and they are making these investments. And my point is that I find with that group, that it's a learning process, Mm -hmm. right? And For example, when I mention podcasting to people, a lot of people don't get it, especially the older generations. And then when you do show them, well, this is how you can access things on like a smartphone, well, they have to learn a smartphone first to get there. So my point is that this is such an investment, but the dividends are going to pay off. So to the degree that we are forward thinking and we are trying to be innovative and testing these things out, Not naysaying. Ah, who has time for that? We don't want to do this, but actually try to engage it. Right? Mm -hmm. Uh, Try out the chopstick thing. You know, at Beaver Falls. If it doesn't work, it doesn't work. But you, you at least try to. So those volunteers, the docents, the the staff at the organizations can can learn how to be public historians uh, through action. I I think that's 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 essential. I agree. What our museums have to offer.
0: You have to go see it.
1: You have to go there.
0: You have to go there and see it. It's not something that can really mean something on a television screen or on a computer screen. Right. And the docent that explains something can't read your mind. Because, I mean, you all have, we have special needs kids that come through our site. Well, you treat them a little bit different than you do the average person that comes in. You provide different aspects of, of information. So you have to meet the needs of your visitors.
1: Right. Uh, that's new in the world today, too. I mean, ac- accommodations for people with special needs. One of the things that we're working on is a uh, a, a digital media museum tour program where so here at the, here at the gallery, you can pull out your smartphone. Mm-hmm. And everyone seems to have a smartphone. You pull out your smartphone. You can scan a QR code or you can tap a near field communication tag. Boom. And you immediately pull up an explication, a narrative of... A painting. So I'm looking mm-hmm. at this large painting with cows and a pasture. With uh, there's a barn and uh, you know it's uh, I don't know what year this is, but uh, I don't know anything about it. And you could read the tag, and there's not much on the tag. But so you look at the painting and you see the tag and you see the, the painter and the date. That's all you have. But with this, you can pull out your phone and you could hear an explication mm-hmm. of that. You know, a narrative, and you know we could put in some pastoral music, if you will, to that, and have this uh, background about the artist and and also about the painting. But what is awesome about this is in the narrative, we could say, if you look at the cow on the right, notice Mm -hmm. this. And if you look at the clouds in the left, notice that. So it's active. It's using this screen technology. You can have this experience in real time. But when we started to do this, we didn't realize this. So someone is visually impaired they can experience that painting. If someone is hearing impaired, they can read the text. And these are very short narratives, two minutes, three minutes, but they can read that. So here we realize that we can accommodate special needs people with this technology, but none of it really replaces coming in and standing before this.
0: And you're planning on doing that with our 100, well, not 100. uh, Let's say I have 108 blue and yellow markers in Beaver County recognizing historic landmarks. And you are going to put QR codes on some of the markers in Darlington,
1: from what I've heard. Right. We're developing a project where we take the digital media coding out to these markers. So someone can walk up, they can read the sign, but they can also access a, um, a richer explication exactly. about exactly. that. Yeah. So we're piloting that.
0: And to, to bounce off of that and to go back to our volunteers, as as you're moving into technology and we have 108 signs in Beaver County and a lot of other museums, and we have seniors that have to have senior projects. This is a good way to tap into a younger generation that is more technologically oriented and could get involved with things like this. Right. I mean, I'm not saying you need to do that or not. I'm just saying that it's a good way for a younger generation to educate us older people. And to, for us older people, we don't have time to do all of that because we're right. too busy running a site. Right. But somebody younger could come along and say, hey, I'd like to do that. I'm going to do that for the signs in the South Side District.
1: Exactly. Yeah, we have a need for volunteers to help us mm-hmm. with this, um, this aspect of public history that, that we are developing here, which is, you know, it's so different than what you guys do. I mean, you guys are really brick and mortar, and we are... We live in the digital space right. you know, with all this stuff. So the recording that we have here will be accessed online, the tours access online, all that sort of stuff. They're two worlds, but certainly for the future, they have to come together. They do. And they are coming together. If you look at the major world-class museums, art galleries, they are all integrating digital media with their brick-and-mortar programming. There are pros and cons to all of it. There are excesses to all of it. Right. There are limitations to all of it. You know, I don't think for a minute that anyone can get a viable experience looking at this big painting on this little screen. Right. right. You've got to come here. You've got to look at this. Right. Your head has to move back and forth. Your eyeballs have to move back and forth. You have to see the cracks in the painting. Yeah. To get it, you know.
0: Well, and not only the painting, but look at all the ornate framing around it. I mean, that tells its own story in itself.
1: Oh, Totally. Every one of these, there's a, there's, you know, there's the painting, there's the content, but there's a story of the story mm-hmm. that we have, and the frames included. I'm, I'm sure a lot of people don't know that, that a major art museum in New York City purchased a lot of frames that Merrick had for their own collection. I mean, the frames were valuable to them, mm-hmm. the frames mm-hmm. themselves. Uh, you know, we can go on and on about about all this, and, and so when someone comes to the Vickery Mansion or they go to Southside and they see the sheep shearing. What do you want to be the overarching takeaway for the public when they come and they visit the sites, they come to your events, they go to your website? Really, what's the, the top order takeaway that, that you hope that people have?
0: I guess the, the most thing that I would like people to feel, visitors, that they were welcomed. That they were welcome to come into the door, into the, the, the grass, grassy lot And with that open mind, then they would be, it would be easier for them to absorb whatever history was being taught at that site. And maybe how that history would be able to be put into a bigger picture so that not only you're going to learn about the farms at Southside, but you're going to walk away and see that that went down the Ohio River. It just didn't stop at Southside, that some of that produce was sold down the Ohio River, or like the, the Model Railroad, the, the connection they had with Hines. We're not isolated. We're just a small part of a big picture. And if you can walk away with the appreciation of whatever story was told at that site, it may open your eyes to going to another site and seeing what they had to say. You know, the Underground Railroad was such a big part of our community. And we can document Darlington. We can document New Brighton. We also have sites in, in Bridgewater that we need to document. So we've got this trail going, and that's gonna bring in outsiders that are gonna experience our quaint little life in Beaver County. We recently marked five signs in Beaver County for the Lewis and Clark Trail. We marked one in Elizabeth, and this summer we're gonna mark one in, um, on Mount Washington. It follows Lewis's journey. Well, that journey didn't end at the end of the Pennsylvania Beaver County line, it keeps on going. They just signed legislation to recognize Pittsburgh as the beginning part of the Lewis and Clark Trail. So we're now not just Beaver County, we're part of a bigger picture.
1: We only get there by having these opportunities to experience history, to come out to the sites, to engage the, the the folks who run all of these you know wonderful organizations throughout Beaver County, that's how we get there, right? We 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 can pet the sheep down at Southside. We can taste the apple butter at your place. Uh, that's how it happens. It's not going to happen through a book or a flat screen. No. Yeah. So I really commend the work that you're doing, guiding the coalition and and uh, keeping those efforts going. So that we can keep this history alive and viable for future generations. Exactly. We need to do that for all of our sites. Sure. Well, hey, tell the public how they can reach you. You can reach me online, bchrlf.org
0: or 724-775-1848.
1: And you're also on Facebook we on Facebook. Yes. Yeah, so you're, you're into social media. Brenda, thank you so much for being on the podcast. We hope to have you on again. You're always welcome. So thank you so much. You're welcome. For more Beaver County history, visit the Beaver County History Podcast. A production of the Social Voice Project.